Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 156 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening. Baseball is very, very close to being here, and uh, to celebrate that and to preview a couple of things and starting rotation and lots of other stuff, the great Scott Coleman is here. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Good to be uh, less than two weeks out. This time in two weeks, we'll, uh, it'll probably be in the middle of Sunday night baseball, Braves, and, and Phillies, so it's, it's really getting pretty close here. Yeah, we're about a week and a half out. Um, granted, today, uh, as we record this on Sunday, um, March 17th, it's known for something else. It's Selection Sunday in the college basketball world, and there was a Hawks game and all kinds of stuff going on, but the Braves are uh, taking center stage pretty quickly here. Maybe not nationally just yet because of uh, the NCAA tournament coming out, coming around here very shortly, but locally, the Braves are getting to be a pretty big story as things ramp up, and today's main course will be previewing the starting pitching, so we'll get there momentarily. There isn't a ton of news, but there is some news that I wanted to hit on before we get going on the starting pitching, so let's start with an interesting lineup thing. We spent last week, um, Eric Cole and I talked about the lineup and previewed that, um, but a little bit of a wrinkle potentially kind of leaked out this week with Brian Snicker um, telling reporters this week that Al- Ozzy Albies could be used more in the leadoff spot against left-handed pitching. He started a game or two, I believe, this week against left-handers, and that makes a lot of sense. We did spend some time, Eric and I, talking about how Albies' pl- uh, platoon splits are real. He's been incredible. I guess left-handed pitching in his very short career. Granted, it's a very small sample. It's like 260 plate appearances, but he's been great against lefties. And of course, Ender Enciarte is not great against lefties. So that combination could lead to something um, happening there with Albies in the leadoff spot if, and this is a big if, if they refuse to put Ronald Acuna there, which might be which might be happening for some reason. Um, so what'd you make of this? And something that honestly we didn't talk about last week. So I was pleasantly surprised, I think, because actually this is one where I, I can actually get behind it a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. It seems to this point that they're going to have Acuna bat fourth, and you know we've talked forever about why we we you and I at least aren't in favor of that and others. But I mean, if you, if you're going to have someone lead off against lefties, um, I think Ozzy is by far the best choice. Um, as you mentioned, has been really really good against left-handed pitching in his young career. Um, has the speed that you want, and and all of a sudden, obviously you aren't going to, most of your games are going to be against right-handed pitching, but whenever you face a lefty, if, if you can start out with Ozzy and then Donaldson, who's hit lefties better throughout his career, uh, Freddie, who, who of course hits everybody well, um, and then Acuna, who was better against lefties last year than righties. I mean, you talk about a one through four against left-handed pitching that's as good as anybody uh, in the game, and then you start thinking, well, if they're going to not necessarily play Ender against lefties and, and use someone like Johan Camargo, who's better against left-handed pitching, uh, maybe in the fifth spot, 
Um, all of a sudden, you have a, a pretty good lineup for whenever you face left-handed pitching. The downside is, of course, that in the National League East, there's just not a ton of left-handed pitching. <laughs> yeah. uh, top of my head, I, I think uh, the Nationals have one with Corbin. Um, I don't think the Phillies have anybody who's left-handed. Um, and the Mets have Steven Matz, and I think that's it. Um, and then I'm, I don't know the Marlins rotation off the top of my head, unfortunately, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it doesn't necessarily solve your, your lineup that you're going to be out there maybe 75 or 80% of the time, but against lefties, you do have a, at least a reason to be pretty optimistic, uh, with the lineup they're going to trot out there if, if Ozzy's leading off. Right. I, I would still, just for the record, I would still lead off Ronald Acuna every single day. That would be what I would do um, with this with this lineup. But if they are not willing to do that, and all indications are at this point that that's not something that they're, that they're going to be doing, at least to start the season, I think Albies leading off against lefties does make some sense. Um, as you mentioned, you know there are obviously just more, more right-handed starters in the league. There's a reason why Ozzy only has... 256 plate appearances against left-handed pitching, and that's because there are just more right-handed pitchers in the world. So, uh, all that to say, yeah, th- this makes sense. I am uh, certainly not bothered by it. And if if they if Snicker wanted to go with a pl- with a pure platoon kind of thing where you lead off Ender against righties and lead off Ozzy against lefties, there are worse things in the world than that. I'm on record as not being a big fan of NCRT leading off under any circumstances, but if you had to do that. Against righties, it isn't as bad. Um, it's not good still, but against righties in his career, he's like a league average hitter or so um, versus lefties where he's like legitimately bad. So, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to be optimistic, that's the best way to do that if you are just married to Ender leading off against righties. If you're not married to that, then just move away from that, like go with Marcakis or do something else. But um, mm-hmm. realistically, just because we're getting, we're getting nearer to the season here, I think realistically probably the best case scenario because Acuna does not apparently be it's not it's not appeared to be a realistic scenario right now to be leading off I guess the Aussie Ender platoon split um I guess is about the best you can ask for realistically because they're obviously not going to I understand there's arguments against this but there's they're not going to do Marcakis and they're not going to do Acuna at this point and we still list barring some surprise yeah and you know it's easy to forget <clears throat> that you know Ender of course is We've talked ad nauseum. He's he's not the best hitter in the world. He has other strengths, so on and so on. But you look at his his first two years with the Braves, 2016, 2017. Um, his on base percentage was 351 in those two years. And if he could, if he can get on base at a, a 350 or so clip, uh, with ahead of ahead of Donaldson, Freeman, and Acuna, I think the Braves are going to be in pretty decent shape. Um, we ju- they just need him to get on base because those three guys are going to drive him in. Um, but I'm with you if if. If that's kind of the way it's going to go, you hope that Ender has a better season. Um, really, if you look at his numbers last year, um, they were basically the same from 2016 to 2017. He just had some um, less luck with balls put in play. It's a guy with a career 321 BABIP. Uh, it was down to 293 last year. Um, so you hope that if there's some aggression there and it, it pops up into the 310, 320, even 330 range is what it was his first two years. Again, if, if he's able to get on base, he's going to score a whole bunch of runs because he has – uh, three or four really good hitters behind him. And I do think um, if he's used properly, which means leading off against right-handers only, if they were to do that, that would help him and strengthen the case for him being able to post a 350, 350, 
350 on base percentage or something like that. I think he's capable of that against right-handers. Against lefties, it's not so capable. Um, we've seen him have, have hot stretches against lefties before, but in general, he's just better against righties as a lot of guys are. So, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I thought it was interesting, and it was the one scenario that we really didn't talk about last week in terms of line of construction. So, Ozzy hitting a leadoff against um, lefties could be interesting, and we might see that. Um... That's enough on that, I think. Oh, oh, I guess briefly, he played shortstop today, Albies, in a split-squad game. Granted, Dansby played shortstop in the other game, so that's worth pointing out. But uh, is my long-awaited dream of Ozzy playing shortstop going to come true at some point? I know Eric Cole <laughs> was making fun of me about this on Twitter. How I've always been, uh, just for new listeners of the show, I used to make a point of this, and I think it's still, it's still true, that Ozzy's value would be so much higher at shortstop because it's a premium position. And he'd be good. He'd be good there. Uh, it was not an argument necessarily that was like you have to trade him right now. This is like two years ago now. But um, him playing shortstop did bring bring back some memories and uh, does provide a window into the thinking potentially. If Dansby were to hit himself out of a role, maybe they would actually go to Ozzy at shortstop, even though he's been great at second base. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to get some reps there. And early on in the minors, of course, he came up as a shortstop, and as you said, he has uh, the range and the arm to play short. It, it probably doesn't hurt to have him there. Um, but yeah, I think it's more of a reps thing. If Dansby were to get hurt, um, it'd be interesting if, would they have Camargo play short? Would they have, uh, Culberson play short? Would they shift Ozzy over there in the middle of the year? Uh, I'm not sure. So it's probably just good to get him a couple reps there, uh, just in case, or if there was ever some, uh, bizarre extra inning scenario where you needed Ozzy to play shortstop for some weird reason, which I probably can't even come up with right now. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to. Uh, give him a couple chances there. He did make an error actually on a throw, uh, get allowed a run to score, uh, but just a poor throw. <laughs> but you know, again, first inning in a split, split squad game in the what fourth or fifth week of spring. Uh, I don't, I don't think Ozzy's gonna stir on it too much tonight. No, and I do think um, if Dansby was to get injured or just be so bad that they had to pull him, they would. Go, I think they would probably go to Camar- Camargo first at shortstop and just leave Ozzy where he was. That'd be my guess. Yeah, but I agree. We'll, We'll get there. Well, I guess we. I guess I hope. I hope that we don't get there. Frankly, I hope. I hope Dan hits this year and stays healthy. But if something happens, we will talk about that when it happens. Um, one piece, I guess, a, a combo piece of reliever news here uh, came out on Sunday. Nothing terribly surprising here, given the track record um, recently of both guys and their injuries. But Brian Snicker said on Sunday that both AJ Minter and, and Darren O'Day are likely to start the season on the on the disabled list. Minter is not throwing off a mound just yet, and O'Day has not even started playing catch yet after uh, some forearm soreness early on. So this is not great because these are uh, coming into the year. I mean, a few a few weeks ago, even I would have said these are two of your most established three arms along with Aris Vizcaino. So to have two of those guys, you know, not be available to open the season, I'm not stunned based on their injuries recently, but it isn't great, especially when you're talking talking about Minter. O'Day is sort of a question mark. He missed, uh, you know, he missed last season, all that fun stuff, but Minter, you need to be good. And they're both not available right now. If only there was a hall of fame track, uh, <laughs> late inning reliever on the front. Oh wait, there is, but he hey, is available. Uh, you know, we got to get Craig Kimbrell in every podcast from from here since uh, since January. Um, yeah, anyway, like yeah, ten for ten on that. <laughs> it's okay. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's not ideal. And you think about, yeah, you're going to play the Phillies to start the year, and then you're you're going to open up at home with the Cubs, two really good lineups. You need to be full strength to to beat those teams. Uh, of course, it is just two series. I mean, let's not you know we don't act like these guys are done for half the year or anything like that. But anytime you're missing what I would assume to be two of your primary eighth inning guys during the year. Uh, of course, Minter is going to get some safe uh, closing opportunities as well. 
Um, not great because you have assuming Viz's shoulder holds up for the next week. Um, he'll be the closer, but you start piecing together innings and, and you're dealing with a couple of starters in the rotation, which we'll hit on that don't always work super deep into games. It's not like you have a Justin Verlander or a Max Scherzer in that rotation who you know is going to throw 115 pitches for you if you need it. Um, but all of a sudden, instead of having uh, O'Day and Minter available in the eighth, seventh, ninth innings, whatever you need them for, um, you're calling on guys like Jesse Biddle, uh, Dan Winkler. And again, those guys did get a fair amount of experience in the late innings last year, but it's just not an ideal situation. Um, especially like I said, when you're going to face two pretty good lineups right out of the gate. Yeah, for sure. And listen, I mean, we talked about the bullpen and if you missed that podcast, that was two weeks ago, go back and listen to that one. It's interesting to even think about it in retrospect now with some more information on a day and mentor, but you know, there are guys with some talent. Obviously Dan Winkler was great at times last, uh, last season. Uh, Royce is really good when he pitches. Usually there's some talent in the bullpen. There's obviously the chance that some of these young starters pitch out of the bullpen as well, but there isn't a lot of safety right now, in my opinion, especially if you're a move mentor and O'Day from permanent roles early in the year, you know, it's not exactly the best bullpen in the world on paper. Um, and last year there was the well-documented struggles from the bullpen. So uh, not great. I would say it's not like the, I, I don't, the world's not ending. They don't have to sign Craig Kimbrell today because, because of this, but he would help them <laughs> breaking yeah. news. Craig Kimbrell would help them. <laughs> uh, but I still think that's probably not likely to happen. Um, but as we get crazy, uh, as we, as we get going here still, closer to the season. Isn't it insane that he hasn't signed, you know, Keuchel too, but Keuchel is like, it's a little bit more interesting to me because Keuchel, it's just kind of a weird player. He's not a super ups, a super high upside guy. Um, you kind of know what he is. and It's going to take him a while to get ready. So I, I sort of understand his lack of market a little bit more, but Kimbrell is still a top five closer in the league and he's just unsigned. And I, I don't yeah. get it. I, I'm assuming it's, there's some weird um, demand there that is not being met. But it's not going to get met now, is it? I mean, it's just bizarre. No, no, I, mean, I, I can't believe both him and Keiko are there, especially Kimbrel. I mean, with the way that teams have shifted towards having elite shutdown bullpens later on, uh, you know, in games, you, you want those shutdown guys. And Kimbrel, even, you know, as you said two weeks ago during the bullpen preview, even his worst years are better than like 90% of most relievers' <laughs> best years, yeah. uh, which is just silly. So who knows? I mean, maybe he's still saying, uh, I'm not signing for anything less than. Uh, four years and eighty million dollars, or the you know the contract that Chap Aroldis Chapman got a few years ago, which was like five years and I think eighty five ninety million. You know maybe that's his number, and he's not signing until someone meets it. I think he's going to be waiting for a while if he's if he's holding to that line of thinking. Um, but yeah, I mean you would think at this point he would have to sign this week if you're going to have him for for opening day. I'm sure he's working out his own time and throwing, uh, you know, under you know with his <clears throat> agent and whoever else, but. Um. Yeah. Just. Just weird all around. For sure. All right. That's that's enough Kimbrel talk. On this podcast, we we fulfilled our quota of Kimbrel talk. But huh. um, yeah. just as a reminder, please go back and listen to that bullpen preview, the uh, lineup preview, which was a marathon or last week with Eric Cole. And there's plenty of content, so please subscribe to this podcast. We're take a short break here, just a couple seconds, and then we'll come back talk about the starting pitching and preview that group. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, Scott, we're back. And, uh, yeah, here we are, starting pitching preview. A um, lot to get to. There's young guys, there's one old guy, and there's some more established veteran types that are a little – they're still kind of young, honestly, but guys who we know are going to be around – Let's start with the number one starter from last year, the all-star starter from last year, Mike Fultonavich, who we know is the number one starter, if healthy, but he's already been ruled out for opening day, and the reporting as of now puts him at uh, only missing a couple of weeks, maybe, but uh, Dave O'Brien of The Athletic reported, or I guess speculated, on Sunday that he was not going to be seen until late April, because uh, he threw a side session today, Fultonavich did, on Sunday, without an issue, which is a good thing, but... um, Given that he kind of has to start over again, it might be late April, and uh, it's not that big, not the big, not the biggest deal in the world. But you missed your best starter for three, four weeks. That might be uh, not the greatest way to start things off. Yeah, I mean, you think about Fulty, and of course, he was kind of penciled in all winter long to be the opening day starter, um, and then his elbow starts flaring up, and the talk was, well, maybe not opening day or that opening series, but later on that first week of the year, maybe the first homestand week of the year against the Cubs and Marlins, and then. Uh, I think it was about a week ago. They said, well, maybe not that first, uh, the first 10 days of the year, but maybe the second week of the season, he'll be ready. And then now, of course, as you just said, uh, DOB is thinking, well, maybe it's more like the end of, uh, you know, the, the last week in April before we see him. So it's, it's not good that the timeline keeps getting pushed back. Um, and you certainly worry about Fulty and anytime you have an elbow injury with a pitcher. Uh, you're a little scared. Um, he was a guy to his credit who was incredibly durable throughout really is his entire career so far since getting drafted. Um, I don't believe he ever had any kind of an arm issue with the Astros uh, when he was picked. Um, he was he was always pretty healthy with the Braves after the trade. Um, and other than missing, uh, I think it was two weeks or so last uh, last summer with with some kind of an elbow, uh, some kind of an elbow injury. Um, other than that, he's he's really been able to stay on the mound. So it's it's concerning to say the least. Um, you talk about guys on this team who the Braves absolutely need to have healthy if they're going to repeat. Um, he's he's in that category, um, and you just hope that his elbow is truly as as minor as as he and the training staff and and Snicker have said. Um, because if if he's not able to give the Braves at least you know 150 or so innings this year, it's hard to imagine uh, the se- season going super well for the team. I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, let's ignore the injury for now. I think we just don't know that much. We want to say that he'll be healthy in a couple of weeks, and hopefully that's going to happen. Um, but beyond that, now that we've now we sort of led with that and got it out of the way, um, let's assume he's healthy. You know, last year, uh, Fulty had a 2.85 ERA in 183 innings, um, a 3.37 FIP, 3.77 XFIP, uh, almost a four-win player according to Fangraphs. He was very, very good. I don't think he was like super elite, but still a very solid, very good starting pitcher, and by far the Braves' best pitcher last year. Um, 
just for other, for, for some context, he struck he struck out about ten guys per nine innings. That was a career a career best mark. His ground ball rate was up from the previous two years. His home run fly ball rate was down, and his bad was down. So there was some luck involved. I do think a little bit for, with Fulte. Um, you know, career low that bad allowed is usually a good usually a sign that he probably was a little bit lucky. But at the same time, if we assume health here. How good is Fultonavich? Like, I mean, I know he is the best pitcher on the team at the moment, but are, if you're a Braves fan, are you comfortable with Fultonavich being the number one starter on this team, or is it? Are you still in a scenario where you're where you're trying to look for someone else to be your one B, or maybe even your number one, have him slide to two? Well, if, you know, if you're talking about the best case scenario for the Braves, sure, you you would hope that Tukey becomes a true number one, or Kyle Wright, or Ian Anderson, or whoever, and you can never have too many. Uh, frontline pitchers. Um, I do think if, if Fulte's able to replicate last year, comes similar to it, I think it's it's good enough for this team right now. Um, you mentioned things like the BABIP going down, improving uh, for his sake. I think part of that is is the team defense, and I think across the board last year, Braves pitchers had pretty low uh, BABIPs, and I think that's a product of having maybe a top three or top five defense behind them. That, that's certainly going to help out the pitching staff. Um, but yeah, if, you know, if Fulte can throw a hundred and 160, 170 innings this year, like you said, assuming he's healthy and, and good to go, uh, by the end of April, you know, if, if he can come close to posting a 2.85 ERA, uh, the Braves are going to be in really good shape. Um, sure. If, if he has to regress a little bit, even if he's closer to his, uh, you know, like his fifth of, as you said, of 3.37, if, if his ERA is in the low threes, I think they're more than fine. Um, he's a guy who, who took all the steps that he needed to take last year to get better. You mentioned that, uh, his strikeouts were up, his walks were down, uh, home runs have always been a thing with him and, and they've decreased, uh, his first three years in the majors. So, uh, I think he's a guy who, who obviously has all the talent in the world. Uh, you can't teach the stuff that he has. Um, and, and the Braves need him because as I said, a few minutes ago, if, it's hard to imagine, maybe you feel differently, but it's hard to imagine the season going well if Fulte doesn't come close to repeating last year and, and, and having the kind of impact that he had on the team. Yeah. You, you would certainly need some help from the young guys, uh, probably multiple young guys. I guess if you're trying to squint and seeing a positive, um, if Fulte were to regress or be hurt, you have some upside with young guys. So, you know, it's not a likely scenario where those guys fulfill all of that, all, all of their potential in year one, like Wright or Tukey or Freed or whatever. Um, but there is some depth and some upside with those guys. So I guess if you want to be positive, that's what you would point to. But I generally agree. I think Fulte, realistically, for 2019, is the one guy you can sort of bank on if he's healthy, being a legitimate, you know, one or two level pitcher. I think you know, if you look at if you look at the projection systems. None of them really see him as a number one starter type by the numbers. Granted, some of that's probably just baking in some of his previous production from 2016, 2017, where he was not great. Um, and I think most systems are um, cautious, like they are with Ronald Acuna, for instance. Like they, people, uh, these uh, number systems basically just see his age and only see this one, you know, three quarters of a season of production. They're saying basically, there's no way that's going to happen again. Um, and Acuna, we all kind of have laughed about how cautious they are, uh, cautious some of the numbers are about him. Fulte, I think I'm closer to where the numbers are. Like they're projecting somewhere in like the 3-8 ERA range I'm probably a little bit below that I would project somewhere in like in the mid threes probably if it was me but um all that to say the Braves do need him and uh if he's not healthy it wouldn't be great for a rotation that has some upsides I mentioned before but also has some question marks because uh, you know there isn't a ton of safety in this rotation right now no. Fulte was supposed to be the safe guy this year and he's not safe at the moment no he's not and um 
you know, as you said, there is some upside at least. You're not you're not going to be scrambling for a mid thirties. You know, you're not, you're not going to replace him with a Gio Gonzalez if God forbid Fulte's elbow blows out. Oof. You're you're, you're not going to be digging into that. You're going to be throwing out a you know a Kyle Wright or a Tuki or a Freed or whoever it may be. So there is there's a little bit of insurance there. Um, I actually have a, a uh, an article coming out Monday about how the time is is kind of now for these Braves prospects, and we've seen Fulte and Soroka and all others come up last year or two, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, last last uh, fall, Tukey and and Wright kind of got a taste. Bryce Wilson got a taste of the majors, but now instead of being uh, guys out of the bullpen or, or guys being thrown out there to eat a couple innings and keep other guys fresh, I mean, they're really going to be counted on. So it's kind of the time is now for those those fellows. To be sure, we'll talk about them uh, momentarily. We're going to get those guys, I promise. Um, before we get there, though, let's talk about the two semi-veterans that are, I think, absolute locks to be in the rotation, but not locks to be fantastic. So you have Sean Newcomb and you have Kevin Gosman. Those guys, again, as I mentioned before, alongside, you know, Fulte's the one absolute lock. If he is, if he's healthy, he will be in the rotation. I think Newcomb and Gosman are going to be there as well, unless they just collapse on themselves or they're injured in their own right. So let's start with Newcomb first. You know, he wasn't great on Friday. He's been kind of rough in the spring. Seven strikeouts, 10 walks, and 12 spring innings. It's spring. I'm not worried about it necessarily. But when you talk about Newcomb and control issues, that does worry me because that's the one thing that he's always had a problem with. Granted, last year he was really good for a while, and then he kind of regressed from there and became uh, sort of back to his old self, walking walking the world and not producing at the way that he's capable of. He's still a young guy. He'll be 26 in June. But uh, it comes down to whether he can throw strikes. And uh, last year he did it for a while and didn't for other times. He was inconsistent. When he's re- when he's good, he's really good. When he's bad, he's really bad. And uh, all that to say, what are we expecting from Sean Newcomb? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, when he's throwing strikes, he needs to get ahead, even though it's amazing last year he actually improved on his uh, strike one rate, throwing strike one. Um, and he was still like third worst in baseball in that regard, which is just kind of amazing. It gives you an idea of where he was as, as a rookie. Um, so and I wrote, and I mentioned the aforementioned article, you just don't know what Newcomb is going to show up to the park that, that day. He might give you seven scoreless. Uh, he might not be able to get out of the fourth inning and he's thrown, you know, it's midway through the third and he's thrown 85 pitches already. Um, I, I do think that having someone like Brian McCann will help him. I think as the Braves continue to shift towards that, analytical side of the game i think uh you know with things like spin rate and helping him really get ahead of hitters is only going to help him in his career um i, I kind of think he has a little bit of, of breakout potential similar to the way that fulty had uh going into last year i'm not necessarily saying that he's going to reach that level but he's at least shown through a year and a half and you know as, as a big leaguer that he's been able to get big leaguers out he's been able to have uh, moments of being really good, or even even weeks at a time of being really good. It was it's easy to forget how good he was in the first half of 2018. Um, but with the good, you're going to get the bad uh, so bad to the point where the Braves were kind of skipping over him in like August and September, if mm-hmm. memory serves correct. And uh, you know he did start a playoff game, but that was more a product of just who the Dodgers were and in their lineup. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who has all the. Um, has all the talent in the world. He, he obviously has the stuff from the left side. Um, and, and even as we said just a minute ago, you know, you're not necessarily counting on Sean to be an ace. I think what the Braves are really looking for with him is to be more of a consistent number three uh, instead of the, you know, for a week, he'll make two really good starts and then he makes two starts where uh, he's just killing your bullpen because he can't even get out of the fifth inning. Yeah, I mean, Nukem's just a, uh, it's a mystery box, honestly. You know, you mentioned how good it was at times in the first half. 
Um, by month, he had a, about 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 a one five ERA in May, a two six ERA in June, and then but then it went to five one in July and six six seven in August, before a little bit of an improvement down the stretch. And then you mentioned the playoffs. He was not someone anyone was ter- anyone was terribly excited to see pitch down the stretch of the season. Um, we know what his upside is. His upside is pretty darn impressive. He's got great stuff when he has it going. It's just kind of, you know, what does he look like in the spring? I never want to overreact to spring stuff, positive or negative. It just kind of feeds into it a little bit when he can't throw strikes. You know, 10 walks and 12 innings is not going to get it done in the spring. Um, we'll see when the lights come on. He'll have every opportunity to earn it because he's going to have a long leash, I think. At least a relatively long leash, with, especially with Fulte out. He's going to have a long leash early on. But Newcomb is someone I am willing to say that I have no idea what, to, what you're going to get from Newcomb. I think the upside is intriguing still. But, um, you know, I, 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 have, I almost don't even have a prediction because it's like, He's either going to be really good, or he's not. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think the at the end of the day, if you had to, if you asked me like what to predict from Newcomb, I would probably tell you it's going to be two bad months, two good months. I don't know what order they're going to come in, and it's going to be somewhere in like the low fours ERA, which is like mm-hmm. a useful pitcher. It's just not someone I'm terribly excited about. Yeah, I, I was just looking at his uh, pitches thrown last year, and of course they have a new pitching coach, so it'll be interesting to see what he works with Sean and how. Um, what different things he does but just looking at uh from newcomb's 2017 to 2018 um he threw his fastball almost identical it was 63 percent in 2017 62 percent in 2018 so same rate there um rarely throws a slider about four percent of the time the real difference last year was the use of his changeup and curveball um as a rookie in 2017 he threw it 22 percent of the time it dropped down to 14 percent of the time last year um and his changeup he barely threw as a rookie uh, whereas he threw it 19% of the time um, as a uh, as a sophomore. So um, kind of interesting there. We'll see where that, that falls. He, he throws the curveball a lot. And um, I know he was talking post-game that um, the numbers show for him that when he throws it out of the zone, he doesn't get much chase on his curveball. But when he throws it in the zone, it's a lot better. Uh, he gets better results. He gets more swinging strikes. Um, and he uh, batters don't do a whole lot with it compared to what they do with his fastball and changeup. So... Um, again, this is all just data that he has to incorporate into his, uh, his game plan. I mentioned McCann being somebody who has really embraced the analytical side of things. I'm guessing they're going to have McCann catch, uh, catch Newcomb whenever they can. Um, and again, he, he has all the talent. He has the stuff. Um, he, it's just a matter of, of him putting it into place and, um, and having, making that third year jump. Yeah, we'll see. It wouldn't blow me away uh, if he was uh, really good this year. The Braves could certainly use that kind of upside. But, uh, you know, I'm skeptical to a certain extent until he just does it for more than a month or two. So we'll see on Newcomb. Um, next guy on the agenda is sort of grouped in with Newcomb in my mind and, and guys who are going to be in a rotation barring weirdness. But uh, Kevin Gosman, who was really good down the stretch once it got to the Braves last year, uh, encouragingly so. I like that trade, and it looked great for the Braves when it happened. Um, this spring has not been great. He got blasted, um, and I think it was like two innings so far. He's been really bad. I don't really care that much about that, but there was some injury stuff. He's not even throwing a splitter yet. Um, not the greatest spring for Gosman, let's just say that, uh, sort of in totality. I'm inclined to trust what we saw last year more than that, but he's also got to be healthy and ready to go. And famously, he was a hot and cold guy big time in Baltimore. When he was when he was good, he was really good, Same, sort of like Newcomb in some ways, but uh, he's a little bit older. He's 28 now. So is he the pitcher he was down the stretch of last year when he was uh, someone the Braves and Braves fans really liked? Or is he going to regress to where he was in Baltimore, which is like a useful like fourth starter, but not too much more than that? 
Yeah, I hope, you know, I hope he's a guy who who just starts slow in the spring because he's had two starts so far and he's just really struggled. I think he had a little bit of a shoulder shoulder problem early in the spring. And I, mean, I think he went uh, two thirds of an inning against the Nationals earlier last week um, and gave up just two just absolute bombs, one to Trey Turner and one to Juan Soto. One, I think the Juan Soto one was against the wind and went like 425 feet to give you an idea of how crushed it was. So. Um, again, it's spring. You're not going to evaluate spring training too much. The guys are going to get out there. They're going to throw their however many fastballs, curveballs, and, and then get out of there. Um, as you said, he was better coming over from Baltimore. You you talk about leaving one of the most uh, hitter-friendly situations in baseball, leaving uh, Camden and Baltimore after all those years. Uh, the Braves, of course, after one start, made him ditch the uh, ditch the windup. He went straight from the stretch. That seemed to help him. Um, his strikeouts did go down a little bit, though. Um, I was reading about him the other day and it might've been a product of him just trying to get more weak contact, uh, get the ball on the ground even more than he did when he was in Baltimore because of, of the Braves lead infield defense. So, um, not a guy that has a ton of ceiling. I think we kind of know who Kevin Gosman is at this point. Um, everybody kind of points to what Jake Arrieta did once, uh, once he got out of Baltimore and turned into this ace with the Cubs. I don't think Gosman has that kind of upside, but as you said, if he can be a steady number three, steady number four, uh, for as little as, as they gave up for him and, and just paying him, I think it's like $8 bucks this year. Um, I think that's fine. Again, you would like to see him tap into more of what he did last year after the trade. If he can give you an ERA in the mid-threes, I think the Braves would be uh, pretty thrilled. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of all he needs to be. I know it would be nice if he was really good, but for the Braves to be happy with him, you know, be a third starter, be a guy who could post an ERA in the mid to high threes and throw 180 innings. That would be just fine, um, honestly. So we'll see how that looks. But, uh, you know, I'm inclined to trust the big picture over the spring with him. But as you mentioned, he's been really bad. So hopefully yeah. that's his velocity. We talked about new, uh, Gosman's velocity was down significantly last year. Yep. Uh, his, his fastball velocity was down about two miles an, or an hour, a mile and a half. Uh, slider velocity was down almost two full miles an hour. Changeup was down three miles an hour. His uh, his famous splitter was down about two miles. So um, maybe that's by design. Maybe he's holding back a little bit, as we said, to throw more consistent strikes and, and just get the guys, uh, you know, to put the ball in play instead of being a little more wild and going for strikeouts. Um, but interesting nonetheless to see what uh, what his velocity looks like after a couple of starts this year. Yeah, keep an eye on him for sure. And, you know, one last time there, I, I do think that Newcomb and Gosman are the guys that we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, are going to be in rotation for a while. So just follow that away. Um, let's, let's move on to the old guy who, isn't, who actually isn't that old. Um, what if I was to tell you, Scott, I think you know this, but a lot of fans don't. Julio Tehran is 28 years old, and he just turned 28 years old. Seems um, impossible. It, does it not seem like he's like 33? Yep, um, easy. Julio came up very early, and even before that, he was like the prospect for a while for the Braves. So it feels like he's ancient, but uh, he's 28, and uh, I'm a lot older than he is. So that's just weird to think about. <laughs> uh, yeah. With that, with that said, Julio is the old guy. He's back. Uh, I kind of thought he wouldn't be. I think we talked about that a lot on this podcast. I think I thought that they were going to trade him um, this winter. They did not do that. He's making what 11 million dollars or so this year. And by the way, he might be the opening day starter, which we mentioned a little bit last week on the podcast after the Fulton news broke. The Braves sort of um, quietly line things up for Julio to make, make that start. I believe that'll be six in a row for him if that happens. He pitched pretty well, actually, today on Sunday in his spring game. Um, but 
in counter to that, um, reports are saying that he's basically max effort throwing like 91, 92. It's been kind of, um, there was, a, I think, a, a pretty good graphic moving, making the rounds on Twitter over the over the weekend about Julio's velocity and how much it's gone down. We kind of know that, but just seeing it in graph form was kind of jarring to just know he just doesn't have it in terms of velocity anymore. Um, I don't know, man. If you, want, if you want to be on the bright side, he did manage to post a sub-4 ERA last year. For as bad as he was at times and as frustrating as he looked, at times, the full product, granted with some luck involved with the peripherals, you know, 175 innings of sub-4 ERA baseball is not useless by any means. Um, did have some bad peripherals. The worst rock, the worst walk rate of his career by a lot is not great, but um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about Julio A just being the rotation and being the guy stop, sapping up innings and being that sort of veteran presence type that we always make fun of, but he's kind of that now and what kind of changes he's made, you know, the stretch, the uh, pitching from the stretch things important to note, like much like you said, like you mentioned with Gosman, the Braves, I'm not sure if the Braves are pushing him to do that, but Julio said this week, that he's only throwing out of the stretch in spring. And he seems, he seems to be pretty comfortable with that. There's a lot of moving parts for someone who's supposed to be so safe, but safe hasn't always been good, but he has never been like unpitchable for long stretches. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> you're right. It's crazy to think he just turned 28. He feels like he's, he should be nearing retirement just for as long as, as he's been around. Um, you know, it's again, it's spring training. You never want to evaluate spring training stats. I think going into today, the Red Sox had the fewest wins in the grapefruit league, uh, <laughs> after winning like 107 yeah. games last year, whatever it was. The so, reigning world series uh, champion Red Sox. And I think the Orioles are tied for the second most wins and they were like historically one of the worst teams ever last year. So again, it's spring training. Uh, but you look at Julio, he's thrown, I think 12 innings now, um, 16 strikeouts and only one walk, which is super encouraging. You mentioned his walks were way up last year. Um, he's always been a guy who's given up a lot of homers, um, he's always been a guy who has consistently struck out hitters without uh, just mowing a bunch of guys down. Um, so it kind of is what he is at this point. It was just, as you mentioned, the walks were way up last year, and that's why it seemed like uh, every start, every inning, he was kind of tiptoeing in and out of trouble. Uh, he sometimes can't, he, it would he, he can't walk guys. That's, that's the thing about Julio, yeah. Like not, not to cut you off, but when he was really good early, he had like an elite walk rate. Like He'd walk two guys per nine. Like It wasn't yeah. like incredible, but like he was very, very good. And he just doesn't have the stuff to walk guys. Like he, he can't walk 4.3 guys per nine innings. He's not Sean no. Newcomb. Like, Newcomb can't do it either, but at least Newcomb has, has like, great stuff. Julio does not have great stuff. No, and he's, you know, this is, what, his sixth full year, or he's going into his seventh full year now. In the three years where he's been really good, you look at his walk rate in 2014, it was 2.08 per nine. In 2015, uh, it was 2.18, and then uh, in 2016, which was his best year, it was 1.96. And it's I don't think it's a coincidence there that in his three best years of his career, he barely walked anybody. His strikeout weight rates were in line with everything else. Uh, his home run rates were in line with everything else. It was truly that he wasn't issuing a million free passes, and as you said, he, he just can't be uh, counted on as a, as a big leaguer if he's going to have 4.3 walks per nine if uh, with his stuff. So again, you don't want to evaluate too much this spring. Maybe Rick Kranitz is, is kind of getting to him a little bit. He works so well. Julio works so well with Roger McDowell and then kind of fell off last few years. Once McDowell left, I don't know, maybe coincidence, maybe not. Um, if you can get a four ERA or so out of Julio across 150, 175 innings this year, I think, I think you take it. I think you're happy. You're not paying him a ton of money. He's probably in his last year, regardless with the Braves. 
Um, you just have to hope that he's just uh, a little more consistent on a per start basis uh, last year because you never knew, uh, kind of like Sean Newcomb, uh, really, you just never knew who, uh, which Julio was going to show up. Right. I mean, you have the walk rate issues that we, that we mentioned there. Um, something that's, if you're, if you're bullish on Julio, I would point to the fact that he's always outperformed his peripherals. Even when he was really, really good, his peripherals didn't tell that story all the way through. They were better than they were last year. But he's always been a guy who's like a half run better in ERA than he is with FIP, for instance, or XFIP. So there's something to that, I think, at this point. We've seen enough evidence of that. But in counter to that, even, last year he had a 217 bad FIP allowed, um, and his career rate's about 270. So there was some luck involved last year. I think he was a much worse pitcher um, than a 3.94 ERA guy last season. And everything points to that in terms of his with above replacement and just everything except for ERA kind of lines up to say he wasn't as good as ERA was last year. Um, it all counts in the end, um, which is worth pointing out. I know I can, I can already hear some of the, some of the fans like, I don't care. Um, I, I get that, but we got to kind of tell you looking ahead what to expect. And if he's the same pitcher he was last year with the walks, he's not very good. Um, if he cuts the walks back down, there's a chance he's fine again. The, the stuff is not as good as it was even two or three years ago, which is worth pointing out. But as a number four or five starter, if he's just safe and okay, that is helpful, especially because, I mean, you have all these all these young guys. But I don't think the Braves are going to be wanting to turn to any of them individually to go 180 innings this year. We're going to see those guys mix and match, I think. Maybe, maybe somebody's just so good early on in the season that, that they kind of just force themselves to stay in the rotation. But... There's been some buzz about six-man rotations, and if you get into that kind of weirdness, having some safe innings, you know, 170 or so from Julio would be helpful. It's not sexy, and I think if you're a race fan, you have every right to be frustrated with the fact that they did not go out and improve this rotation with an, with an upper echelon veteran, and bringing back Julio is not going to excite anyone. I, I'm with you on that. I totally get it. But if they couldn't give him away on his salary, if they were going to have to eat money to give him away, then I'm okay just bringing him back. And um, if he's not great, just take him out of the rotation. You know, there's no because he only he's only making like 11 million dollars. If he goes out for three or four starts and looks terrible, you just kind of say Julio go on the DL and we'll pay you and that'll be it. Um, but if he's okay and you probably know that a little bit early on, you kind of just ride it and see what happens. Yeah, if if he's your fifth starter or sixth starter, however you want to look at it, and again, this is assuming that that Fulty's back and. Uh, we'll talk about all the young prospects, and if Newcomb and Gosman are at least uh, a little more consistent, yeah, you can you can certainly do a lot worse as your fifth or sixth starter as Julio. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe in his kind of last go round in Atlanta, he'll tap into more of the guy he was in uh, earlier in his career and, and cut the walks and uh, continue throwing strikes and, and be a serviceable back end end of the rotation guy. Um, but yeah, you just you would just hope that he's we're not in for another season of it seems like every inning there's two runners on base and you're just kind of closing your eyes and hoping that uh you know a 400 foot homer doesn't get put into the left field seats um you just don't want to have to <laughs> just be on your <laughs> on your tiptoes all game and have the bullpen ready at a moment's notice yeah i'm not i'm not ready for that either so let's not let's not do that again uh if you're Julio Tehran okay as a bridge to talk about the young pitchers which are which will be the last thing we talk about on this podcast there's this notion that's been out there um I guess this is more pre faulty but if, if we assume Fulty is healthy, that the Braves would be better off going with two or three young guys in place of Tehran. Um, I kind of agree there'd be a lot more upside with that. Um, but before we get into these, into these guys specifically, 
where would you stand on that? That's a question that we got a couple of times when I put on a mailbag call last week, I think it was. Um, and, I, and I wanted to push it down the road to this podcast because I knew we were going to talk about starting rotation. But, you know, would you rather see at the, at the beginning of the season, would you rather see them go with Freed and Wright than, and take out Julio? Um, I guess it wouldn't matter now that, that Fulte's hurt and you can kind of do both. But assume that Fulte's back on like April 20th. Would you want to see two young guys and uh, not Julio and like put Julio in this like weird long relief role, or would you want, or would you kind of want to just go ahead and start things off with with Tehran and see what happens from there? Ooh, um, that's a good this question. Is, this I is mean... you talking now, Scott. You, you individually, <laughs> yeah. not not good what's question. not not what's going to happen. What what would you do if you were in charge? It, you know, I guess I can kind of take the cheap way out and ask if, if Julio is still walking four and a half batters per nine innings, or if he's more of the you that's know, fair. Career. Yeah. So if it was, if Julio looks like he's the same guy as last year, then no doubt put Kyle Wright in the rotation, put Tukey, put Max Freed, put Bryce Wilson, put, I mean, literally anyone, um, <laughs> if, literally, if, ex- <laughs> literally anyone except for Williams Perez, everybody else except for Williams Perez. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but if he's more of the guy, I mean, even in like 2000, uh, 2015, he threw 200 innings. Um, his walks were a little bit up, but he had a 4.04 ERA and a 4.4 FIP. That guy, I don't know. That that's probably what over a full season because rookies are going to have their ups and downs. I mean, yeah, you had to ask that, me. I think. You have if, to. If you had that. to, yeah. If you had to ask me what a, what Max Freed, who you know, of course, has to stay healthy. He's always had the weird little injuries. Um, you know, if Max Freed was given 25 starts this year, I would say his ERA would be around four. So. If you can tell me that Julio would have an ERA around four, um, you know, I guess all things equal, I'd probably prefer free just because it's giving him experience. And he's a guy who the Braves are going to be counting on for years to come, whereas Julio is more than likely in his final season. Um, And I I think, sure, there's, as you said, there's more upside with giving Wright or Tukey those starts. They have uh, top of the rotation potential. Um, But again, as you said, Julio, he's not being paid a ton of money. Uh, To his credit, he's always been pretty durable. Um, he's thrown at least 100. You know, last year was the fewest innings he's ever thrown, and he threw 175. Um, he had thrown above 180 in the five years before that. Um, so he's durable. You know what you're going to get with him. I think if I guess if I had to answer, I'd probably take one of the young kids over Julio just again to get them some experience and get them against uh, some big league hitters consistently. But um, it really depends on if Julio is the same guy as he was last year, if he's more the guy he was from you know 2013, 2014 through. Uh, 2016, 2017. Okay, now there's okay, now. there's a big picture thought experiment that I wanted to ask you about that sort of goes along with that. Now, we're going to save our predictions for the season until next week. But in keeping with sort of our frustrations um, in the entire fan base, I would say, about the offseason, how does, how does the fact that the Braves are not projected to win the division again right now by the systems and by most analysts, does that change your thinking at all? Would you want more upside with the young guys because – you might be working from a position that's less strong than you did last year. Does that thinking matter mm. to you at all? I, we got we got this question as well, so I wanted to pass it along to you. My apologies for whoever asked it. I can't remember now because I didn't write it down. But I remember this question vividly because I was thinking, oh, that's really interesting. Um, would, would your tolerance for risk be a little bit higher, meaning that, that you want to go with more young guys and more upside, knowing that maybe you're going to need some higher-end outcomes to be better than the Nats or to be better than the Phillies. Because I, I tend to lean that way because on paper, I'm not trying to spoil anything for next week, but I think you might need some uh, breaks to go your way. It's a good question. Um, 
it, it probably depends for me on what the other guys in the rotation are doing. I mean, if if you're, I, I don't think at least uh, you know right now. If he gave, I keep using Max Fried in his example because I think he's um, he doesn't have quite the upside that that uh, Kyle Wright or, or um, Tukey have. You know, I don't think the difference between Fried starting 25 games and Julio starting 25 games is probably that big. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off on that. I need to give it some thought. Um, sure. If if I was to say that you could have 25 starts from uh, Kyle Wright and 25 from to Ron, I think I would take Kyle Wright because I think he would be better. Um, but if <laughs> they might almost work itself out to where you're getting both of those, if if you have an injury, if Fulte isn't right, if if Gosman or, or Newcomb get hurt again, you might be getting it anyway. So um, I don't know. I don't think I'm necessarily answering that question super well. I guess I would say sure. I would I would always go with the guy who has the potential to be better. Um, but over the course of a, a long season, over six months, I think you're going to have so many natural up and down. Uh, regardless of who's on the mound, that it might not make too much of a, you know, make too much of a difference one way or the other. Yeah, I think I agree. It's pretty just interesting to think about that through that kind of prism. Um, so just file that away for your uh, future considerations. Um, all right, moving on to the young guys themselves. Um, for me, it's a. Uh, I'm looking at this now. There's five guys I think that could realistically be in the rotation in the first month or two um, if they were healthy. Um, realistically. And that's Tukey, that's Max Free, that's Kyle Wright, that's Mike Soroka, and Bryce Wilson. Um, I, I wrote down Luis Gohara and, and Colby Aller just to reference them, but I just can't imagine a scenario where either of those guys are in the rotation, um, yep. at least early. Uh, I still think Gohara I believe in long-term a little bit still. Allard, man, ooh. Uh, we'll leave that alone for now, but it was, uh, <laughs> probably they, for the best. Yeah, so we'll leave that alone for now. But those guys, I want, I want to at least reference them once on this podcast, and that will be the last time that we do that. So five guys. Am I missing anybody to your eye? Because that, that's kind of the yeah. five that I think are at least in the discussion for potential starts. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, uh, let's start here. If you had to choose one right now for 2019 to start a game like in two weeks when it matters, who would you choose? Ooh. Um, of let's those just, five? Let's just, start, let's just start early. Of, the, of those five, uh, like a game, we'll, we'll say, you know, the fourth, the fourth game of the year. Just well, just I think of those of that group, I would take Mike Soroka, but obviously if he, he was healthy, be, if yes. he was healthy, so I think I would take Soroka. If he's not healthy, I think um, I, I think Kyle Wright has a chance to be the Braves' uh, second best pitcher this year. So I'll go with Kyle Wright. Yeah, I can uh, totally see that, I think. Um, Wright's been awesome. Let's, let's just start there. Wright has 16 strikeouts and two walks and 12 innings in the spring. And it's the spring. It's the spring. It's the spring. But Kyle Wright is also a guy with major pedigree. He's obviously a former first-round pick and um, is incredibly talented. So, um, I mean, I think I might – I think I'd probably go with Freed. Uh, maybe that's my uh, just profile of – being cautious and taking what we know or what we don't know. We just have seen Max Freed do it in the majors and not embarrass himself. Not that mm-hmm. Wright would embarrass himself, but we just have seen more of Freed. I think Wright ultimately has a lot more upside than Freed does, but Freed has some upside. I think people sell him short a little bit because he's a little bit older, which I understand, but Freed is disgusting. Like Freed is filthy. When he has it going, that guy can just be nasty. Um, he is like little, little lingering, lingering stuff like with blisters and whatever else, but um, which kind of limits it a little bit, but I think he's pretty darn good. 
Yeah. Uh, I think I might lean to free, but right is not a bad option, I would say. Um, speaking of right, you know, if he was in the rotation this year, if say, say, say we assume he's just in the rotation, because they're going to have to choose one of these guys to start probably um, a game in the first week or two. Um, say it's right. Do you think he would be a solid major league starter right away? I mean, he is young, but he's yeah. not that young. Is he someone who could function right now and be fine? Oh, absolutely. I think I think you can slot him in. I mean, he was probably ready to be a big league starter last summer. I think uh, uh, I forget who it was. One of the Baseball America guys maybe uh, wrote that when he got promoted to Gwinnett, I think it was July when he did. You know, they said he could have kept <laughs> he could have kept going down the highway and, and just stopped in Atlanta instead. Um, I think last year he he only appeared in a couple games out of the bullpen, and I mean he was pitching like once a week. So I know that his results weren't great last year, and maybe that kind of soured people a little bit. But I mean he legitimately was throwing like one inning per week in all of September. So um, he's a guy who has four pitches. Um, you said as the pedigree former. Uh, number five overall pick, which frankly, he probably should have been a little bit higher than that. It's a miracle that he, he dropped to the Braves. Um, a guy who has command, he knows how to pitch, um, throws mid nineties, has good breaking stuff. Um, I think it was, <clears throat> Eno Saris who asked a couple of minor leaguers with the Brewers organization, uh, who the filthiest pitcher was and who the best pitcher was that they saw last year. Um, and he said the filthiest was, was Tukey. I'd imagine that seeing that curveball for the first time is pretty uh, is pretty horrifying without ever seeing it on video. Um, and then with Kyle Wright, he said he was the best pitcher uh, just because of I think he said his his pitcher pitchery. He was the most pitcherist or something like that, uh, <laughs> which is a great quote that you know and and you know elaborated and he, he asked what he meant by he was the most pitcherist pitcher that he saw. He said he knew how to attack you. He knew how to work in sequences. He knew how to get you off balance, kind of stay at one step ahead of you at the plate. Um, I think he could step right in and do a, you know, become a number three starter. Basically what we saw uh, from Mike Soroka last summer before he, you know, before the shoulders started having problems. Yeah. I mean, Wright is uh, older than you might think. Um, you know, he's 23, which is not a bad thing by any means. I just, I just mean to point that out. Like, I think people are conditioned to think, you know, 2017 draft pick, like he's 21. Like, no, he's 23. And he's like 23 and a half. Like he'll be 24 in October. So he isn't this super duper young guy. And I think that might help him. Um, but I'm kind of with you. I think he's going to be pretty decent right away. You know, Zips and uh, Steamer. Um, you know, Zips has him like with a 4.39 ERA for this year. It's always inexact for someone as young as him with as little um, major league data as he does. I think he's looked better than that in the spring. But against it's, it's against the spring. But I, I kind of with you. I think he'd be pretty darn effective early on. Um, you know, we mentioned Soroka. Let's just go to Soroka now because he's the one that has the lingering, obvious injury thing. No firm timeline for his return. He threw live BP without a problem on Sunday, but he's going to be on the DL to open the season. Um, that's definitely going to happen now. Um, I guess Mark Bowman said he might debut in late April. Um, Soroka is the one guy we've seen pitch legitimately well as a major league starter on this list. We've seen it. He was really good. But ever since then, almost, he's been battling shoulder stuff. So. Um, we know what he's, we know what he has been, but with shoulder stuff, I, I get worried. I know Eric's always loved Mike Soroka for a long, long time. We kind of like him on this podcast, obviously, but, um, you know, expectations for him kind of have to be kind of muted because it, even if, it, even if, it, if the stars align and he's able to pitch a month from now, we just don't know what he's going to look like. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I think we, we discussed this before and I know I read an article maybe four days ago that, the, that said the Braves had shut down. Um, Kyle Wright or uh, Kyle Wright, Mike Soroka indefinitely, which 
I mean, you hear indefinitely. I think, all right, he's not throwing. He's not doing anything. And then today, Bowman has the video of of him uh, of him throwing live BP, and it sounds like he could even make a start this spring and and you know get some innings under his belt and then go to extended spring training and potentially be up by the end of April. At least in my head, before today, I had kind of written him off a little bit for at least the first couple months of the season, thinking, hey, if he's not throwing at all, um, I don't know. Maybe he's progressing. Maybe. Bowman, I think it was Bowman who reported earlier in the week that he'd been shut down. Maybe that was premature info. Maybe it was incorrect. Um, but anyway, as you said, he's the one guy we've seen. Um, I, he has the ability to just go out there and attack hitters with his uh, great command and his sinker, and he gets the ball, puts it in play, which which plays really well with the Braves' elite defense. Um, so, yeah, if, if Soroka can can give the Braves 120, 150 innings this year, it would be huge for their chances. You, we talked 10 minutes ago about needing some things to break the Braves' way to to repeat as division champs. Um, Mike Soroka being healthy for you know 20, 25 starts would be would be huge. So um, absolutely, if he can get going, get in the rotation by April, even May, um, I think it's a you know it's a big upgrade for the team. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess I was remiss to say that he's the only guy that we've ever seen do it. We saw him a little bit more, but Tukey did have, I think, five starts last year, which is worth pointing out. I thought I, I kept, I, I think I had in my head like he only, there was only like two or three starts, but it was five. And uh, he pitched seven times in the big leagues and looked pretty do, pretty darn good at times as well. Tukey, for long-time listeners, has always been my guy. I've always been in love with Tukey. I think his upside is still tremendous. Um, for what it's worth, Zips uh, sees Soroka as the best option of these guys for 2019. Part of that is just having more data, and part of that is that his ERA was always so preposterously low in the minors. Um, that probably helps him. But Tukey would be next on the list of guys for Zips as a projection system. Um, they project him with a 4.17 ERA if he were in the rotation for the full season. That's 29 starts worth, and that's pretty darn solid. You know, the strikeout stuff is not in question. He's got a great arm. Uh, always walks people more than you would like, um, which is, you know, got, got some Sean Newcomb in him, I guess, in that way. Um, but Tukey will be 23 in June. Uh, in, in the big leagues, he walked a ton of guys. He walked six and a half guys per nine. It's a pretty small sample size, but he's always lived on the edge when it comes to walks. He's going to he's gonna have to clean that up. But what do you think about Tukey? Um, I think he's also, I guess it's almost like a catch-22. He's also the easiest guy, in my opinion, to make a reliever if they wanted to do that, if they wanted to help the, if they wanted to help the bullpen. And there's been some rumblings about that with one or two of these guys going in the bullpen early on in the season. Tukey, unfortunately for me, I think might be the best guy to profile as doing that. But if you remove that from the equation and just assume he's going to start, um, would he be good right away? Because I think he probably would be too. Mm. I think, you know, I think with Tukey, um, I, you're right. I think he could go to the bullpen. I also think Max Freed uh, would be really good out of the bullpen. I, I'm kind and of pushing used him for there, him. By the way, yeah. yeah, and I'm kind of pushing for if they're looking to help the bullpen at least early on, as they have some injuries. I think having Freed and that Josh Hader multi-inning, you know, once every three days role, I think he could be um, really successful there. Um, as far as Tukey, the starter, as you mentioned, it's going to come down to fastball command. That's something he's talked about this spring. Um, today, even his, uh, his start was televised against the Tigers, uh, got hit around a little bit, um, though the defense didn't do him any favors. And as you said, in the innings where he was locating his fastball, he was just mowing down the Tigers hitters, uh, when the fastball was getting away from him, he left one right down the middle of the plate to open the game, got hit for a ground rule double, um, got into some trouble in the next inning as well with some, uh, poor locations. So he, he's, he's made strides over his career with, uh, with his location, and uh, if he's able to take the next step, I don't see why he couldn't be a frontline starter. 
but that's obviously <laughs> similar to Newcomb and, and all young pitchers, really. Very few young pitchers come to the majors and immediately uh, have the command that's necessary to, to get guys out consistently. Um, but if he's able to tap into that and improve on what he did last year, um, I think the sky is the limit for him. For sure, I will always be in the tank for Tukey, uh, admittedly. So uh, I'll just, I'll, I guess, I'll excuse myself from the rest of the conversation because he's uh, always been my guy. He'll still be my guy. Um, we've referenced Max Fried a couple different times. Let's talk about him specifically for a second here. He's 25. That's something that's important to note. He's he's the oldest of these guys. Um, you know, he's he's the one lefty of these guys as well, which is worth pointing out. You know, six four one ninety. Uh, it's, you know, Freed is guy who's got filthy strikeout stuff. He always has, uh, that disgusting and breaking stuff that he has good year last year. Again, a very small sample in the big leagues, but 33 innings with a 2.94 ERA. Um, a lot of walks though. It seems to be a theme on this podcast, uh, about five walks per nine, which isn't like egregious in that kind of small sample size, but not great. Obviously I think Freed should start. I really do. But I also understand that he is 25, that the Braves have a ton of these arms, um, it's sort of it's sort of a give and take because I, I think he might be the best of them right now. There's a chance Max Freed for a full season would be the best of these guys in 2019 only. But I also think that he's done the highway roll before. Um, he's lefty, and I think his stuff is really, really, really good in a bullpen roll. So it's kind of a lot of conflicting factors. Um, so, I mean, I, I know I, I lay that all out there, but... I'm not saying project what's going to happen, but what happens with Freed if he starts and what happens with Freed if he if he's a reliever and bounce back and forth because he's sort of that hybrid guy if you have to choose one of those guys from, from these five. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Freed as well. Um, he's somebody who, as we, we talked about, um, he, he's not dealing with like elbow injuries or shoulder injuries. He's just had a bunch of weird injuries throughout his career, and he seems to be... The, the blister he, thing is just always around, too. It's, yeah, it's like I mean, a weird one. Well, and then the spring, he, yeah, what what was it? He he tore he he cut his pinky. Yeah, uh, like it wasn't a blister. He made his, sure he made, he made sure everybody knew that it was not a blister. It was just something else yeah. weird on his hand. He cut with his thumbnail. He cut his pinky finger throwing a cur. I mean, get you know, get a manicure or something. You know, <laughs> or start biting your nails in the dugout. I don't know something. Um, yeah, so he's a guy. He has to stay healthy. That's kind of been his thing. He's been able to, unable to put together. Uh, you know, full season because he's had these weird injuries. I think last year during a doubleheader, he, what did he pull a groin trying to get out of the way on a comeback or something like that? <laughs> uh, you know, just weird injuries. It'd be one thing if his shoulder was always hurt. It's another, he's just dealing with these weird, weird things. Um, I'm with you. He's 25, which is certainly not old, but he's someone who I don't really see any reason for him to go back to Gwinnett. I mean, unless they need to stretch him out for a start or two to get him in the rotation, um, and build up his arm. Uh, I don't see any reason for him to be in the minors. I think he needs to be in the big leagues. I think he needs to start. I think they need to give him a chance to start at least early on. Um, and then as guys like maybe you, maybe you, you keep freed in the rotation until someone like Mike Soroka is ready to come back. And if Soroka's healthy, then maybe you shift freed to the bullpen because you know, he, his stuff can play up in a bullpen role, help keep that, uh, help keep the guys down there fresh. I think there's a little bit of a misconception that, yeah, if you send a, a pitching prospect to the bullpen, that they're locked into the bullpen for the rest of their careers. Uh, that's not true. All it takes is maybe 10 days to get them down to the minors for a start or two to stretch out their arms, and then and then all of a sudden they're back in the rotation if you need them to be. Um, it, teams have really started to do that a little bit more with their young guys. So um, I'm with you. I'd like to see Freed. I'd like to see Freed over 150 innings this year. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to get quite there just because of all the – 
of all the log jam. I'm just not sure there's that many innings to go around for him, but um, a guy I'm high on as well. And, and he certainly has the stuff with his fastball and, and with that filthy curve to, to get big leaguers out. I agree with the point, especially with not him going, not going back to Gwinnett. I do think that of all these guys, he is the one I would, I am most confident will be on the big league roster um, in some form. Um, that's kind of weird to say if he's healthy, I should say, but I think he will be in the bullpen if he's not if he's not in the rotation to open the season. That's yeah, just me. I'm with that, you. That, that, that's a gut feeling. But at some point, there are too many guys in Gwinnett, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to put some of these guys in the bullpen at somewhere along the way. And Freed also has the experience. He's a lefty. Um, there's a lot of boxes he can check. And I think if he's not starting in April, he should probably be in that long man hybrid role. So. Yeah, I would be stunned if he doesn't break camp with the big league team. Yeah, I think he'll. Help. I think he's gonna be on the team too. So, he's the one guy I would kind of confidently say that about um, at this point. Uh, the one guy we haven't talked about yet is Bryce Wilson. I do think he's number five of five for me, in part because of age. He's twenty one, which is wild considering he uh, pitched in the big leagues last season at twenty, uh, which is again kind of wow. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know Wilson is interesting. He was sort of off the radar until recently because he was, I think he was a fourth round pick, I want to say. Yeah, fourth round pick in 2016. Mm. He was not supposed to be this huge prospect, but our, our guys like him, our prospect guys like him. He's, he's been really good in the minors at times. Last year, he was not as good in AAA. Um, he had like a five ERA, but it was a pretty small sample size. He was good in AA. And everybody seems to like his polish and thinks he's like kind of ready to go right now, but he is so young that I think of all these five guys, it would be most surprising to me if he made starts in April. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you you talked, he made that one start in Pittsburgh where he was really impressive last year over five or six innings and got a little bit of taste out of the bullpen in, in September. And, and um, But yeah, you look at his numbers, a guy who's really risen quickly through. I mean, he was drafted in 2016, um, played some rookie ball, spent a full year in, in Rome in 2017. And then last year he made the jump uh, all the way from high A. He started in um, a ball and moved to double a and triple a and then and then made his big league debut i think in the middle of august so um a guy who's really risen quickly i know um keith law of espn has always been really high on bryce um they said he's he's kind of transformed who he was as a pitcher in high school versus uh where he's at now and you're right he, he's kind of the uh, forgotten man of the group but he certainly has uh the stuff and and the fastball to really he works off his fastball really well um because of his age um, you know, he had seven innings with the Braves last year. He had 22 innings, only made three starts with Gwinnett. So I think there's certainly time uh, or certainly reason to get him some more uh, some more starts in the minors. And but, you know, give him a half season and see where see where the big league rotation is at. Um, he's certainly ready. If if you had to call on him to start a game tomorrow, he he probably could do it. Uh, wouldn't embarrass himself. But um, because, as we said, Freed's 25 Wright is 23 and, and just so polished. Tukey um, has had a little more time in the upper levels of the minors. Um, I think he is fifth on the totem pole, and that's not a reflection on him. I think it's just, as for everything we just said, he's just a little bit farther away or a little bit farther behind. Yeah, that's probably a good way to leave that. And Again, it wouldn't be surprised to me if he made starts this year because he already made a start in the big leagues. Uh, it was like it was crazy to see that. I guess it was a little bit crazier to see it a few months ago than it would be now, but there's a lot of arms, you know, all, all, all told here, if you include Fulte, um, we've just discussed nine guys for presumably five spots, maybe six spots. Um, there really isn't another veteran available unless the Braves go out and get somebody. I've long thought that they could conceivably sign someone that was cut somewhere else and maybe bring in a veteran a la Anibal Sanchez from last year. 
Um, I think, by the way, quickly here, people have forgotten how good Anibal was last season. Yeah, um, I, he was I've seen a, a lot of yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about like how the Braves rotation was sneaky good last year and all this thing, all the ERA numbers. And I understand that they were actually better than you would think. Like they were like top five in ERA as a starting as a starting rotation last year. Um, a lot of that was Sanchez. <laughs> um, like not not obviously he wasn't the best pitcher on the team, but he was sneaky good. And um, you know. Granted, I wouldn't have projected that moving forward. I was okay with him with them letting him go, but um, you know, factoring in what he was able to give you last year, whether whether it was sustainable or not, the numbers were what they were. He threw um, 136, 136 innings last season with a 2.83 ERA. Um, that is not easily replaceable. It's possibly replaceable, but I do think people have sort of overlooked that. As since we're talking about the, the rotation as a uh, as a total piece right now, uh, that's a big part of it that's no longer there. Um, so just keep that in mind when you're evaluating the rotation on the whole. But you know, nine guys for five spots, maybe six spots at times when they go six man rotation this year, would it blow you away if they sign somebody else? I think I mean Keuchel is the obvious name, but I, I think he's not going to be coming. I think it would be almost certainly have to be someone that's on a team now that gets cut or something. Yeah, I think so. If if they wanted a veteran who, like you said, gets cut or maybe Gio Gonzalez or someone like that gets desperate and signs for nothing, maybe they bring him on, but. You're right. I mean, it's going to be tough to find any for all these guys, even if even with the injuries. And I think that you're obviously going to have uh, in a way it might be a good thing. You, you certainly don't want to lose Fulty for too long. But because he's going to have maybe four or five turns in the rotation before he comes back, you're going to be able to see, like we said, what Freed can do, what Tukey can do, what Kyle Wright can do. And and that wasn't necessarily going to be the case if everyone was healthy. So um, a lot of innings or, or not enough innings for everyone. Um, because I think you have eight or nine guys who could legitimately throw a full season right now. Um, so that for that reason, I kind of lean towards them not adding someone. Um, but I guess you never say no. Yeah, I do think um, – I just don't – I don't see anybody that's available sans Keuchel that would be an upgrade on the young guys. That's kind of where I am. Like Keuchel, I do think, would be – as a baseline, would be better than – Anyone in the rotation outside of Fulty, I think Keuchel's baseline average outcome is higher than anybody else on the team um, for 2019 only. But it's also mid-March, and he's not, like, throwing. So it would take a while for him to get ready and all that fun stuff. So I think you take him off the table. Anybody else, man, like, I mean, are they going to be better than Tuki Toussaint? I don't think no, that's I don't. I don't think so. Or at least by the time you factor in the cost that it would add to, you know, to take the sign them and take away from what yeah. they do. I mean, I just, yeah. if they think that Soroka, if they're worried about Soroka's shoulder, that takes one guy away. So if we, if we assume Soroka can't go until June or something, like they have not said that I'm saying, just think about this practically. You still have eight guys. Like, and I do think they're ready to go with Tukey, Freed and Wright and Wilson. I think they're ready to go with those guys if they have to, like they wouldn't prefer that. I don't think like to just say, Here's a job to one of these guys for the season. They could do that. And, I mean, maybe if you're skeptical on Wilson, I understand that. But if you, if you take him out, you still have seven guys. Like, it's not like they have some shortage. I do think there's reason to be a little bit concerned with young guys being entrusted with big-time roles on a playoff contender. But you still have them around. And I think signing a stopgap veteran now over them um, – doesn't seem all that appetizing to me. Like it would never hurts to have another arm around, but maybe you bring that guy in with like 
thinking it's going to be he'll be Gwinnett and he'll be like a stopgap option, like really a stopgap option, like not just here's a spot. Because you know, Anibal last year was not supposed to be in a rotation. Like people forget Matt, uh, forgot Matt as well. He was signed as like a very clear flyer type. Yeah. Um, we and granted, he was awesome. I think nobody saw that coming. Um, I know we didn't see that coming on this podcast. <laughs> no, I definitely not. did not see that coming. But you know, I think people have forgotten that as well. Like it wasn't like he was like in the rotation to start the season. He wasn't. He was someone they signed as a another option, take a flyer, we'll see what this guy has left, kind of thing in March. Um, maybe that maybe that happens again and you and you find gold. But in terms of just breaking camp in April, I think this is what you have. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier about not only the short term uh, prognosis for the team, but the long term. And at some point, you have to give Tukey and Freed and Wilson and Wright and, and so on, Soroka. You have to give these guys full years uh, to show what they can do. I mean, you, at some point, there there's nothing really left to learn in the minors. And I'm not saying all these guys are finished prospects and they're going to step right in and be good right away. But at some point, you have to let the young guys uh, show what they can do. And, and the Braves have to learn. Okay, yeah, we can we can count on. Uh, Kyle Wright to be a you know a, a stalwart in our rotation for the next however many years or uh, yeah Sean Newcomb third year made improvements he seems like a guy who we can pencil in for the next couple of seasons um, you're never really going to know unless you give those young guys the chance and um, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world like you said to add Keuchel because of he, he's probably better than 80 percent of the current options right now but again you have to talk about the cost of, of signing him you have to talk about losing a draft pick to sign him um, and as you said even if he is throwing you know simulated games or whatever I think he's throwing in in California uh, you know there's a difference between facing high school hitters or you know or semi-pro uh, independent league hitters versus uh, facing you know big leaguers for 100 inning or 100 pitches every night so um, I'm with you I think I think at this point I'm probably good with just rolling with the eight or nine guys they have, hoping Soroka gets healthy, hoping Fulton gets healthy. Um, because frankly, if, if Fulton Evich isn't healthy this year, I don't really see a path for the Braves to win the division. Um, so it's it's almost one of those things where if it doesn't happen, you're kind of screwed anyway. So um, at that point, why not let the young guys throw and see what you got? Yeah, uh, we'll, we will save the predictions for next week's podcast, but um, – I have a feeling that we're not going to be picking the Braves to win the National League East. Let's just uh, we'll leave that we'll leave, we'll leave that there for now. Um, you know, rotation wise, though, last thing here, I do think uh, there is uh, there is upside with with this rotation. I think the average outcome is not as good as you would want it to be for a team that's trying to win the division and wants to repeat. Um, just because I think for me, I am always skeptical of young guys who who have not done it before. I love all these guys. Like I'm, I'm very pro Tukey. I'm very, I'm very pro free, pro right, pro Soroka especially. But as a one year sample, 2019 only average outcome, I am not in love with this rotation. That's kind of where I'll leave it for now. Like there's upside. I think I would have said the same thing last year, and then Fulty breaks out and Anibal pitches well, etc. But right now, you know, in mid March, this is not a, this is not a, a, a hundred win team rotation. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not excited about that for this year only. Obviously, the future is very, very bright. But if you compare this rotation to teams like Washington, you know, they have a lot better rotation. The Mets, too. Like, it's not this is not it's not an advantage for the Braves. It might it may not be a weakness, but mm-hmm. it isn't a strength, in my opinion. I think just really from the entire 20 man, 25 man roster, I think there's just so many different ranges of outcomes that could happen. I mean, 
and you talk about the lineup and the bullpen and the rotation, there's just, you could say, you know, Hey Brad, over the next six months, um, Kyle Wright is going to have a, you know, Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty type rookie season impact on the Braves. It's I would believe that carry him. Or I could say, you know, I know all these guys look like pitchers who are, you know, 22, 23, 24. They have moments, but they become inconsistent and you, you know, you're really taxing the bullpen because they can't consistently throw six innings every night. Um, and it becomes a real, you know, a real new, uh, nuisance for the team. So I, I think you could tell me, yeah, these guys are going to be fine. They're going to live it up, uh, to their, their prospect pedigree and, um, and have great years. You could also tell me that they're going to pitch like 23 year olds and it's a very difficult game. And, um, you know, big league hitters are really good and, uh, they're going to struggle. So there's really with so many different players on this team, I think there's a wide, wide range of outcomes, um, it, it just kind of as a whole, you talked about the prediction podcast coming up. Um, you know, you could say, yeah, the Braves are going to win 95 games next year. And I wouldn't be stunned. You could say the Braves are going to win, uh, you know, 78, 79 games next year. And I wouldn't Ooh, be stunned. So don't say that, uh, Scott. You're, you're, I think, you're, uh, everyone, everyone's <laughs> just yelling at you now. Everyone is just screaming into their phones. I'm or not saying podcast players. I'm not saying they're going to win 78 games, but I think, I think you could at least, tell me a scenario and i'd say yep that that sounds reasonable so yeah um, i think i'll, I'll uh, save my final uh, you know as everyone holds their breath right uh, i'll save my but i think they will be um on the higher end of that range but um i guess that's something for another day yeah i got, got to leave them wanting more scott i'm sure <laughs> anyone that just heard you say 78 wins out loud um is very angry with you so oh jeez. I will leave that alone. Now. We we already, get not, too, we, we already get hated I'm on quite a bit. Not for saying our, they're uh, going to win seventy eight games. I know. I'm saying, I'm saying uh, I, I think it, that is probably a worst case scenario. And every team has. I mean, you could tell them, you could come up with a worst case scenario for the Nationals where they win seventy eight games. Next oh, year. for sure. No, I, I'm I'm actually I think I agree with you. Um, you know, it is a worst case scenario, but it's like it's like Donaldson isn't Donaldson and gets hurt and. Fulty doesn't come back, and there's you, you need three or four or five things to get there, yeah. but uh, it's not absolutely insane. Um, so we'll just leave that there for now. We're not predicting that. No one is projecting 78 wins. No one. <laughs> I promise you, a week from In now, we're, we're, we're doing our podcast. None of us are going to pick are, are going to predict 78 wins. I promise you. Just want to put that out there. Don't don't leave us. Please subscribe. If you're if you if you, if you already clicked re, uh, unsubscribe, go, come back come back to us. I promise. Um, but no, I'm uh, I'm kidding. And we've we've gone very very long for two weeks in a row. By the way, Eric and I went long, and you and I went long, and this is uh, it's baseball season. I guess I guess it's, I guess it's March, and we're excited to talk talk about baseball again. It's real life baseball. I mean, and as we've said last year, after all the all the bad seasons that we did podcasts in 2015 and 16 and 17. It's easy to get excited about this team. I mean, yeah, there, there's some shortcomings. Um, you know, there's potential for this team not to to repeat now. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, there's so much young talent here. I think it's going to be hard to not uh, get excited every night. And even if they don't repeat again, I think there's enough uh, there's enough good things going on, and, and the farm system's so very good, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, that it should be a fun year one way or the other. Yep, I totally agree. All right, last thing, Scott, really quickly here, because this is you and I, it's annual tradition. Who is winning the college basketball national championship this year? Because you're Arizona Wildcats, nor, nor, nor to be seen this year. So we'll, leave, we'll leave that alone for now. But uh, uh, I, I, need, I need your Final Four right now on the spot. No prep. I know you looked at this a little bit. But Final Four and a winner right now before we get out of here. Oh, goodness. Um, I will pick, I think I think Duke, I mean, big surprise. I think Duke is the best team. Um, I, I think we're going to get a Duke- North Carolina round four, and I think Duke will win. 
All right, I don't. Uh, that's 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 not a final four though. Give give, give me your give me your other two. Oh, oh. Um, I'll go Duke. Um, I'll go Duke Gonzaga. Um, is Kentucky Carolina. Carolina, and then is Kentucky in Virginia's region? Kentucky's in Tennessee. Kentucky's in Carolina's region. Tennessee's in. Uh, I'll take uh, I'll take Tennessee. That's so chalky. Three ones and a two. Come on, man. That's I think not fun. We could. I think. Uh, I think that. <laughs> I think the top like eight or nine teams this year are all pretty good. Um, but I think like the three fours and five seeds this year compared to previous years would get like stomped. Um, they're just not a lot of, uh, high end talent outside of the top eight or nine, maybe even 10 teams. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of with you and, uh, I've not done a ton of prep on this. I'm actually out of, out of pocket most of Sunday, but I'm looking at this now. I think you have to pick Duke. I think you're kind of insane not to like they, they could lose certainly cause it's college basketball. It's a one game sample. They are a lot better than everybody else in that region, so I will I will take Duke. I will take Virginia because I have to contractually. I love Virginia. <laughs> I think Virginia is going to make the run this year. I'm going to say it every year until it happens. Uh, I will take my Michigan Wolverines. Um, I don't want to, but I have to. Um, again, contractually, they're my team. I was right about them last year. Uh, this year I'm more skeptical than I was last year, which is interesting because they're better this year than they were last year in the regular season. But uh, I'll take Michigan to beat Gonzaga in the Elite Eight and make the Final Four. And my last one, I will take... Man, I don't like that region at all. The Kentucky-Carolina region. I don't like Kentucky or Carolina. So Yeah. I think uh, if one's going to get weird, I think it could get weird. That's the one, but I also don't like Kansas. You know what I'm going to do no, on this Kansas podcast? This year. Sorry they do, to any bad. Kansas fans, but they... Well, and I grew up in Missouri, so I have to take Kansas, but... They're, they're uh, bad. Uh, yeah. No, I, I am... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be reckless. I'm taking Auburn. Mm, ride that uh, SEC uh, I am going to uh, regret that, and frankly, I have done no prep, and uh, my official bracket release will be on Twitter at some point on, like, Wednesday, so I'm going to change this, I'm sure, but right now at 11.40 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, I'm taking Auburn, mm. uh, and then uh, I am going to take... <sighs> I'm going to take Virginia over Duke in the final. Oh, Finally, Virginia's gonna Cap. Virginia's gonna avenge their zero uh, two <laughs> against Duke in the final and cut down the nets after losing a sixteen seed last year. That would be uh, that'd be really nice for for Tony Bennett, who's a great coach, and you know they they deserve it. I mean, you knew we, it was always one of these days a sixteen is going to be the one. And um, I was actually talking about that earlier today, just how crazy uh, that game was last year when Virginia lost. I think everyone was just kind of waiting for the tide to turn, and it just never happened. And by the way, people forgot they, 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 they lost by twenty. It wasn't like it was like a oh, like a killed. four point game. They got killed. Yeah. Uh, but all that to say, I, I think that was a fluke. Number one, um, and nothing about that means that Virginia is not good. I think people have just assumed that Virginia is bad now because they lost that game. They've been the number one team in the country all season. Like yeah. they were and really good this year. Better again. offensively, and well, didn't they lose like their second best player last year too? Yeah, Hunter got hurt, missed the tournament, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, we, we've gone too far in basketball world, but. Uh, I'm going to be the, the counterculture, uh, fade the public, and take Virginia. That's kind of my brand, so that's what we'll do. And I'm going to hate that in like a week. So Yeah, I was going to say, when they're eliminated this time in a week. I'll... They're going to lose <laughs> to uh, Ole Miss in round two. Um, wait, Oklahoma's a nine seed? I, I, I was gone tonight. That's a, that's a preposterous ranking. Uh, anyway, 
we've, we've gone too far on the podcast. Yeah. All right, Scott, thank you for uh, <laughs> enduring all of this nonsense. Uh, I guess it's not so late your time. It's only like 845, but uh, please plug your stuff. I know you said you had something coming up on Monday, so please plug that again and tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, an article coming, I think, Monday, um, just about uh, kind of the time is now for all these pitching prospects that we talked about tonight. And, you know, the Braves made the decision to rebuild through pitching three or four years ago, and now uh, they're going to kind of find out how successful it was. Obviously, that's not to overlook the, the 2018 team, the 2018 team that was so good. Um, but we're about to find out if, if these guys are, are ready to take that next step. So that'll be coming Monday. And as always, you know, check the site for news and ho- I was going to say injuries, but hopefully like no more injuries because <laughs> no more there's injuries. been more than enough for three spring trainings this year. Um, and yeah, and on uh, t- uh, Twitter, it's Scott Coleman 55. Follow Scott, follow the site at talking chop, uh, subscribe to this podcast. And also we'll have the road to Atlanta show back in the next couple of weeks on this same feed. So if you're a Road to Atlanta listener, you no longer have two feeds. You'll be coming on to this feed. It'll be a separate show, obviously, but we'll, we'll all be together, housed together, and that'll be a lot of fun for all of us. So subscribe, tell a friend, uh, find your your favorite friend that does not have a Braves podcast and direct them our way. If they <laughs> us, then they'll probably leave, and that's fine. Give, it, give, it, give us one chance. That's all we ask. And then we'll see everybody next week.